is Robin Blair, and she is a community member, a friend, and also a um, recent graduate from the Masters of Public Health at Ohio University. So she's been a public health advocate in our community long before her degree was conferred, but now it's official, and we welcome her to help us talk about the, t the subject of Black Lives Matter. So welcome, Robin. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, it's our pleasure. And Ruth and I today, we wanted to talk about Black Lives Matter. Obviously, everybody is talking about it. And I think we also want to learn. And Ruth and I got together with Robin last week to um, really discuss the possibility of having the subject on our weekly program how we might approach it since we only have 30 minutes, and also, you know, what might help our audience um, feel connected and feel engaged. So we hope everybody who's listening will really put your antennas out this morning, really listen to what we're talking about, ask yourself some questions, possibly, and maybe even as we close the show, um, take away something that urges you to maybe take action, even if it's um, a way of thinking, a way of doing, a way of acting. I definitely agree with that. Okay, good. Um, so, Robin, I think one of the things that we discussed was sort of outlining the, the, the information we have, the overwhelming information we have and being presented with, with Black Lives Matter, talking a little bit about racism, systemic racism, how our cultural, um, cultural situation has happened, a little bit about that phrase that's being used a lot, thrown around, that I've learned more about, the white privilege, and then really just talking about how we might, as individuals, sort of assess ourselves and in this situation, where we stand, where we've been, maybe uh, we learned something this morning, um, and maybe, if, again, if we can walk away with some action. Yeah, we can definitely do that. Um, and I agree, I think we should definitely start off with um, just kind of defining some things. Um, I, mean, I think people take things very personally, and, you know, most people automatically want to say, I don't have biases, I'm not racist. Um, right. You know, and all of these things. And the first thing of understanding is that all of us have levels of bias. Um, all of us have, have certain things that come up in us. We may not speak them, but things that come up in us where a, a certain group of people or, um, you know, a certain look or something may make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. And I think um, accepting that is the first thing. Like, you know, we've got to get out of this place of denial. Yeah. Agree. Yeah. Yeah, I, and I think... Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I'm sorry, I've been on mute this whole time, and I haven't been able to say hello or anything, uh, but I, I'm excited about the topic, really excited to, to hear from Robin and talk about this really important um, topic, and because I think when, we, when some people hear Black Lives Matter, they might say, well, all lives matter. So, so when, when, when we think that, or, or when we hear that, what what is what is that we should be thinking? Because um, black matter, right? I think what people want to say is when I, I think that people tend to mean well, 
when they say all lives matter, but I like the story of the idea of a house on fire. Um, and the fire department comes and they put water in this house. Nobody's going to say all houses matter. Yeah. They're going to say, okay, we need to get the fire out on this house. And right now, fire on our house, the black community in the United States, and actually all around the world, but specifically we're looking at the United States. And I think most people can admit that. You would not go up to the fire department and say, well, spray my house too. All houses matter. You're yeah. going to say, okay, yeah, let's focus on, on how we can help the family who is in this house. And I think that that's how we should look at that term. No one is saying only black lives matter. I heard a comedian say once, it, it really means black lives matter too. And um, because of systemic racism, and we'll get into what that means, um, there's a feeling that black lives are not held to an equal standard as um, white lives in this country. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think that's a great example to give because it makes it very simple to understand that all lives do matter. Just like you said, all houses matter. But when one's on fire, that's where our attention needs to go right now because that house needs the help. So I think that is a good example. It makes it easier to digest. And I also um, appreciate that the fact that you said, you know, a lot of when we talk about um, Black Lives Matter, when we talk about racism, when we talk about white privilege, it can, it can tend to be a very personal thing. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's one way we can sort of step out of our bodies for a moment and not take it personal. It's not necessarily directed at an individual. Exactly. Especially when we're looking at that word that you brought up, white privilege. That can be very polarizing and it can be very uncomfortable for some people. And what I like to say to people is um, white privilege is, is really looking at the systems that are set up in this country um, that can have barriers when it comes to people of color. Um, a, a, a counselor I know yesterday gave me a really great analogy. She said, if you look at being right-handed versus left-handed, our world is pretty much made for people who are right-handed. If you think about desks and doorknobs and scissors and faucets when you have to turn the faucet, um, most systems are set up for people who are right-handed. So people who are left-handed have to accommodate or you have to provide left-handed scissors or left-handed desks. We would never take offense to that when someone says to us, hey, there, you have privilege as a person who's right-handed. People mm -hmm. take offense when they say, well, you have white privilege. And white privilege does not necessarily mean you are racist or prejudiced. What it does mean is that there are certain things in this country that are very specifically focused on white people and people of color tend to have to um, assimilate. So, for example, here living in Athens, I've been here six years, as a woman of color, um, until two years ago, I could not find appropriate shampoo and conditioner. I still cannot find pantyhose in my color here. And worldwide, if you think about Band-Aids, flesh-colored Band-Aids are the skin tone of white people. Mm -hmm. This is all levels of privilege. Television shows. Think about on TV um, how, much, how many African Americans are represented you know, even other races of color as opposed to um, white people. And, you know, unless it's not that we're trying to get rid of white people or anything, we just want a level of equality. Um, we talked about, you know, hair products, even in the store, there's usually a very small section of ethnic hair products. Even grocery stores, 
if you think about most grocery stores, there's very small ethnic sections um, of food. And most caters, most the regular grocery store caters to more European focused meals. Yeah. yeah. You know, some things that you're saying and things that I've been um, listening to and reading in the past several weeks is actually been a little bit of a relief to me personally. Like, I feel like I can say to you now, Robin, I'm sorry, we don't have hair products for your hair. Because then I'm also saying, Robin, you know what? Your hair is different. <laughs> right. And that's okay. And I think yes. beforehand, I might have been inclined to try to run around and find something that could accommodate your hair, almost pretending that there wasn't a difference with your hair and my hair. Yes. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes perfect sense. And it goes along with when people say, I don't see color. We all see color. I want you to see color. I want you to be like, Robin, wow, your hair is different, but it's so cute. You know? Yeah, I yeah. have super cute hair. My husband is white. I am African-American. And so from his side, we have four grandchildren who are white. And my oldest granddaughter always says, Nana, I wish my hair was curly like yours. And it's just, it's, it's so interesting to me that she feels that way because she has pretty straight hair. And I said, well, your hair is beautiful, too. But yeah. she notices the difference. And if we could look like the way children look, they're like, oh, it's a difference, but it's okay. We're normally the ones as adults who put these things on the differences. We're the ones who are like, this is negative. And it's not negative. I want you to see color. We want you to see color because we want you to honor that and to learn about our, other, about our cultures. Yeah. You know, I... As uncomfortable as some of the conversations have been recently, I found this point actually very liberating. Mm -hmm. It's like, this woman has black skin, this man has black skin, I'm white, we are different. That's not a negative or a positive, it is a difference, and it's okay to be different, it's okay to talk about it, it's okay to verbalize it. It is. It is. And I do want to be clear about something when it comes to the idea of white privilege. Because um, I think this is where people get confused. White privilege does not mean that white people have not suffered or have not struggled. Um, you specifically see that in areas like here with Appalachia, where you have um, poverty-based um, disparities, such as access to care, access to grocery stores, things like that. So it doesn't mean that you haven't struggled and you haven't worked hard for what you have. It just means that your skin color was never a barrier. Right. Right. I think it's a, I think it's a difficult thing to acknowledge, and it, it, it's, you know, because I think so many people who, again, don't see it or don't easily see it are, are just wondering, aren't we, aren't we beyond racism already? There's a history, a really powerful history, and, and you keep talking about systems. That this is a this is a systems conversation, right? There are systems that show preference for a group of people over another group of people. But why? I mean, why haven't we moved beyond that? Is that is that too big of a question? <laughs> it's a huge question, but I think I think it's okay to answer. I think one of the things is we tend to think everything happened so long ago. You know, slavery was over almost 150 years ago, but we have to understand the Civil Rights Act was only from 1964. Um, 
legally, the year my husband was born, we would not have been allowed to get married. He was born in 1966. We would not have legally been allowed to get married. That is not that long ago. And so understanding that these systems, many of these systems are still in place, and we need to look at, in our legislative policy manner at some of these things that are in place, which is what you're seeing with the protest right now, is looking at the policies of policing in America um, and how uh, black people are, uh, you know, there's a disparity there when it comes to policing. I mean, for example, black, blacks in general are incarcerated for drug offenses at 10 times greater a rate than white people, even though usage is, the sa- is, um, is higher, I'm sorry, it's higher in whites, but we're incarcerated 10 times more. Yeah. One of the angers is even though black people are only 13% of the population, we are 24% of those who are killed by police. Mm. So these are systems that are in place, um, you know, that affect black people in a negative way. Even if you look at the current um, issue with heroin, with opioids. So that has become an issue that has really hit all communities. And we are using, what we, what we should have always been using is, is therapy and um, rehab and things like that. Um, to get people off of drugs, but in the 1990s when crack was an issue and it was mainly affecting the black community, we jailed all of these people. Mm-hmm. So those are systems that are in place that we have to address so that we can have equal playing field. Right. You know, when you talk about systems in that manner, I mean, they are systems, absolutely, but it's not like... Or maybe- about this, but it's not like it's a system or a policy that's in place. It's just how things work. It is. And so we have to combat that with policy as well. Um, You know, so if you're looking at uh, police brutality, um, for example, you know, we need to make sure that police have uh, required to have their cameras on so that you can see what's going on. Um, We need to require, and this is my personal opinion, more training for police officers and de-escalation techniques, um, and that you know, firing your weapon is not the first thing that you do. Mm-hmm. Because when you have police officers, and there are some cities where you only get three months of training as a police officer, and please, I want to preface this, I do not believe all police are bad. Well, I have a brother who's a police officer. I do not believe all police are bad, but I believe there is a breakdown in our system which causes a disparity for African-Americans and other people of color. We saw that with blacks and Hispanics in New York when you had these stop and frisk, um, where they could just stop people just because they fit the profile. Right. And so those are the systems that, now that ended in 2013, but our current president still believes that that was constitutional, and it's not. Those are the things that I say they're systems. So it's not just like one specific thing you can put your finger on and say, well, if we stop this, everything's going to be done. It's little things here and there that need to be addressed, that need to be put into place. Um, when you looked previously, like in the 60s, you had redlining, which stopped African Americans from being able to purchase homes, and it also divided communities, which is why you, ha- you still to this day have black and white communities. And even though redlining is not legal anymore, the practices still happen 
because somebody can, um, you know, and, and because it goes past just mortgages, you know, people can discriminate, you know, and say, you know, yeah, we're not going to sell this person this house. They, they would never say it's because they're black. But if they see Jamal on an application instead of John, they're, they're, they may assume. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think that, um, and again, I, I hope maybe the conversation gets people to even just stop and think about why things are the way they are I, and, and question if they're right just because they're a law, let's say, yeah. just because they're part of the law. Like one thing, um, you, you challenged Kim and I to watch um, a film called 13th, referring to mm-hmm. the Amendment, and I was shocked. Uh, it was a lot of historical context, which I really, really appreciate. So I even thought about, like, for example, bail. Bail is um, a policy. If you're in jail, if they post a bond, a bail, you can get out of jail if you have the money. So it really is only for people who have wealth. It really yes. has a preference. If you're incarcerated, and, you know, you can get out if you have the money to get out. And it's just, why don't we ever stop and think about how inequitable that is? Right. That was a powerful movie. Yeah. Um, so I was really glad that you recommended it. It was very powerful, and it did have the documentary with, by Netflix. So if you are listening to the conversation today and have not seen or heard about that movie called 13th, um, I would encourage you to watch it. It's Again, just watch it, listen, and absorb some of the information. I will tell you some of the things that I heard in the film, and I'll let you talk about them. Just in statistics, you know, the United States, 5% of the world's population, but we have 25% of the world's uh, people in prison. Mm -hmm. One in three black males are incarcerated. One in three. So Mm -hmm. you know three? That's like... You know, I, I just, that shocked me. Compared to one in 17 white men will be incarcerated. Um, I, I, I just, it's shocking. When you watch the movie, and, and you both did, it talks about the fact that the 13th, 13th Amendment, um, and I actually have it written down here, it says, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall be duly convicted shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. And that, it's that little caveat that says, except as a punishment for crime. So what happened after slavery, um, when the 13th Amendment came, that this was added, and so as long as we made you a criminal, technically you could still be a slave. And since we have a for-profit prison system, it benefits to have more people in prison. Mm-hmm. So that's part of the reason this happens, hence going back to the systems um, that are in place. You know, people talk about, you know, these things a lot. We talk about, you know, if there's, you know, black fathers not being in a household. This is part of the reason you saw some of this was because black men were being put in jail um, at much higher rates than white men. And this is to benefit our for-profit prison system. It's something we see statistically. If you look even at the cases, and we talked about this during our meeting, of Brock Turner with a white swimmer who raped a young lady and received six months in prison. And if you noticed in the media, they pointed out, you know, all of the things he could have been. He was a swimmer. He had done this. He had done that. He was going, I believe, to, um, I I, I don't want to say Yale, but I could be wrong. 
um, and he got six months. There was an African-American man, forgive me, I don't have his name right now, who did the same thing and received, I believe it was like 15 years. Now, it's not that I want the black man to only get six months, but black should get six months too. Yeah, 15 right. years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, black should get 15 years, forgive me, yes, as opposed to just getting six months. We need that to be equal. That's, that's not right, and that's what we tend to see, um, you know, across the prison system, and we also see it in the media. Um, if you look at how black men are usually portrayed, we've seen this right now with George Floyd. I know he wasn't an angel his entire life, but there's nothing that excuses the way that Mr. Floyd was brutally murdered. Um, you know, there's, no, there's nothing he could have done in his past that made him deserve to be dehumanized like that. Um, but yet we see people posting online sharing um, his criminal history. Mm-hmm. Right. And see, it's, it's systems and facts and details like you're talking about and like we saw in the documentary 13th that creep into our heads and create these biases yes. so that we grow up um, you know, or continue to grow as adults Believing, it's it's we don't understand necessarily why black men are incarcerated at a higher rate. We start to believe that black men are more dangerous. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Instead of understanding the systems. Right. Right. And that connects to what we were talking about earlier, to the white privilege, to racism, to actions. So um, we've had. Some of us, a lot of decades of learning that based on cultural systems um, and not necessarily fact. And so I think some of this movement, some of us are going to need to unlearn yeah. some of those things. We're going to need to unlearn and we're going to need to be intentional. Um, that, as I thought about, you know, what can we do? Um, we need to definitely be intentional and be okay with being uncomfortable. You know, and that's something I feel like we've been talking about, you know, you know, through this uh, talk is that it's okay to be uncomfortable. It's okay to say, okay, you know, maybe what I learned was not okay. Maybe what I thought was not okay. Um, you know, and someone may not be, and I say this jokingly, someone may not necessarily be a card-carrying member of the KKK, but they may still have biases in their heart that they need to address. And I would rather people say, hey, I used to feel like this and I don't anymore, than for us to hold on to things um, where we're hurting our brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I think one of, the, one of the greatest tools people can do, and, and it's easy to Google, it's called the Harvard Implicit Bias Test. Mm-hmm. That is a really good starting point for people. If you look at that test, um, it'll, it'll show you some biases you may have, and it's nice and private. You can do it in your home, but that's a really good starting point. Um, look at that test, and then be okay addressing those biases. Uh, the next thing I would say is educate yourself. T- Google has tons of research. I mean, I literally have, I mean, we only have 30 minutes, but I have five pages of notes in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> Right. And I haven't even touched on, you know, uh, you know, I've touched on like an eighth of what I have written down. There's so many statistics and things. Um, but Google racism in America, Google wage gap, understanding that um, 
black men get 87 cents on the dollar and that black women only get 62 cents for every dollar that white men make. Um, and that's a disparity for women too. White women only get 79 cents on the dollar of what, of what every um, white male makes. Look at Google police brutality, Google Jim Crow, Google um, civil rights, Google all of these things. When you hear terms, don't just get offended. Look and find out what they are. And make sure to listen to voices that don't look like you, don't sound like you, don't think like you. Listen to those voices and be open to hearing what they have to say. And that's not only when it comes to race. That may be addressing other disparities. Maybe looking at things that affect the LGBTQ population. Talk to them. It's okay. You know, being intentional about having relationships with people. You know, we had a really great conversation the other day, and you guys were so honest. Like, okay, these are things I don't know. Mm-hmm. I firmly believe that most people of color will be more than happy to say, you know, we, you know, you know, we're not all dictionaries or encyclopedias. <laughs> but, um, you know, for somebody who wants to know, I've had multiple conversations over the past week with my white friends who are like, hey, Robin, I, I just want to know a little more. I want to know what I can do. Read books, watch movies. Look at, you know, look at movies like 13th. If you go on Google, there's 8 million movies. The movie Just Mercy which is talking about our criminal justice system, I just found out is, offered on, is going to be offered free um, on most streaming platforms. Um, the other big thing I would tell people is don't, be, don't fall into being comfortable. Don't just be tolerant. You need to be anti-racist. So if you really want to make a difference, because a lot of people have said to me, how can I make a difference? That means standing up when you're hearing people make jokes that you know aren't appropriate. When you have children, making sure to say to your children, these jokes aren't appropriate. We don't do things like this. Letting your kids know, you know, something is racist or not racist. Introducing your children to books and movies with people who don't look like them. You know, that's a huge thing. And it's something in an area like Athens where you don't have a whole bunch of black people that, you know, people may not be sensitive to because they just hear what they are. Um, but don't be afraid to show your children movies and books about slavery and civil rights and more. I like to tell people, and this may sound like a harsh thing, but people don't realize is 70 years ago, black people were being lynched and people were bringing their families and had their picnics yeah. and watching people get lynched, have their little children there. So if people could do that, we can show, show our children the opposite. We can show them how to love. And we need to do it fiercely and with just as much passion as those people did. And then lastly, I would say be intentional about your friends. Develop friendships with people who don't look like you. And one more thing, and this is probably the most important, vote. Your vote is very important. Pressure your legislators. When you know something's wrong, send letters, calls to your legislators. Hey, what are we doing in our area about police brutality? What are we doing to break down public health issues um, that affect black people? Black women are, uh, my, my research for my capstone, black women are four times more likely to die of maternal mortality than white women and two times more likely to die of cervical cancer. And that overrides any level of socioeconomic status. So that was a lot, I know. <laughs> I know. Well, I think one of the things that's important to note, too, is that um, 
the Black Lives Matter movement, which has been happening for a long time. I know it certainly got a lot of momentum very recently, but it's not new. It's not brand new. But no. It is now part of our public health um, platform and priorities. And um, so it's not just uh, somebody's you know, issue or somebody's campaign or somebody's cause. It is all of our cause because public health is for everyone. Okay, sorry. I said I like to tell people all lives can't matter until black lives matter. Right. right. And that's what we need to look at in every system. And, and public health, of course, with having MPH is so close to my heart. Um, and so I'm so excited that Ohio has recognized racism as a public health concern. Um, as, a, as a true disparity affecting public health, and those are things we need to address. Right, right. Thank you so much. I know that even our governor had come on recently at a press conference talking about some of the, um, another resource, by the way, that you mentioned, Eight Can't Wait. Yes. So eight, eight, eight police policies that um, would change maybe some of the situation that we're talking about that affected uh, George Floyd. Um, do you want to talk about those eight really quickly or? Yeah. Um, yeah, I know, um, I'm going to pull it up really quickly. I know that one of them was banning the chokehold, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and so looking at how, you know, he was murdered, um, banning the chokehold, um, looking at, I just pulled it up, requiring de-escalation, requiring warning before shooting, um, which was an issue we looked at Cleveland with the issue that's my hometown, um, the 11-year-old Tamir Rice, who was gunned down by police and had, he had a toy gun. Um, it requires um, exhaustive all alternatives before shooting, so you need to try everything else. It gives, you, it gives them the duty to intervene. It also requires them to ban shooting at moving vehicles, which could in turn you know, hit pedestrians or you know, other people who are standing around. Um, requires comprehensive reporting. That is one of the issues um, that came up with the George Floyd, if that video had not come out, you know, they said he resisted. That was what was in the report. But the video came out and showed that it didn't. And the last one is with required use of force continuum, and I need to look that up a little more to get a full understanding, um, you know, of what all of these mean. So they're, they're, you know, there's a lot to them. But these are eight things that I believe were, were um, brought about from the Obama administration. Um, years ago, to, uh, a couple years ago, um, to show that, you know, these can actually help limit police brutality for everyone, but specifically, um, you know, looking at African Americans. And this is extremely important because one of the things people don't realize that I just found out this weekend is that there's no national or federal standard for police. Everything is usually, I believe, like county by county or city by city. Mm. So one city may have 18 months of training and they have, you know, banned chokeholds. The city right next to it may say, hey, we've got three months of training and you can do chokeholds or strangleholds all you want. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that website is 8 Can't Wait, the, the number 8, can'twait.org. Well, thank you so much. Do you see how, how quickly this flies by, Robin? 
I know. <laughs> I am so, there's so many other things I could say, but yes, the time has flown by. But I am so grateful for the opportunity to share. Um, you know, I and I'm more than happy to you know set up you know send some resources to you all that you can share with your with your listeners. That would be great. I, yeah. I really really appreciate your time in helping us think about and talk about a challenging topic and really thinking through Black Lives Matter and and thinking about that as um, in a personal way, but also in the systems that we um, operate in. How are, how are we setting up systems that are, um, are open to all people? Um, I, and I, I just want to close with uh, something that my daughter actually, I had a conversation with my oldest daughter the other day telling her that this is the topic that we were going to talk about. And, um, and she was really challenging me, like, what are you doing? What are you reading? What are you, you know, who are you talking to? And I just thought that essentially what she was saying to me is you have to do the hard work. And I think that's the message here too to our listeners is we all have to do the hard work because, right, until lives matter, as you say, um, then all lives matter when that happens. So thanks again so much for your important contributions today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, and thanks for our listeners tuning in. Um, again, just as a, a way of uh, review, check out It Can't Wait. That's the name of the website. 13th is the name of the movie. There's also a, um, a website called Mapping Police Violence that you can check out. Um, and, and we just encourage you to do the hard work of, of learning what this is all about. So thanks, thanks again, and we look forward to um, joining with all of our listeners again next week on Make It Happen. Thank you, Kim and Ruth and Robin Blair, for uh, joining us here on Make It Happen on this Wednesday morning. Always rays of sunshine, and as I speak, the sunshine has popped out. So thank you, Kim and Ruth. That's Robin. Yeah. <laughs> they got the sign. Yes. Right, yes, right. You That's did. right, Robin. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us on uh, Make It Happen. And we'll talk to you again next Wednesday. So have a uh, wonderful day, wonderful week, blessed day, and blessed week. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. You bet. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. not a morning person Uh, or maybe you are hello sunshine either way we all have one thing in common our love for breakfast at mcdonald's sleepyhead or go get it together we breakfast double the sizzle and start off with two savory sausage biscuits for just two dollars it's biscuit perfection at mcdonald's your morning starts here Limited time only at participating McDonald's. Single item at regular price. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. America is kept.